This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by our patrons. You can support the show, like them, at patreon.com slash thetomeshow. Welcome to the Tome Book Club of June 2022. The Tome is a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Tracy Hurley. And I'm Jeff Greiner. In each book club episode, we discuss one D&D-ish related book. Spoilers be damned in full book club style. And our book this time around is Daughter of the Deep by Rick Riordan. And with us as always is Eric Paquette. Bonjour, hello. Next episode, uh, which we'll record towards the end of August, hopefully, uh, we'll be reading Beating the Story by Robin D. Laws. Uh, and before we get started with our discussion, I wanted to say thank you to all of our patrons that help pay the bills. You can help out too by joining uh, them at patreon.com slash the Tome Show and offering as little as a dollar a month. Now on to the book, Daughter of the Deep by Rick Riordan. We have read Rick Riordan before. We read the Magnus Chase trilogy, as I recall. Yes, the Norse <laughs> mythology one. So uh, Rick Riordan has a tendency to, um, I have argued, to, to write highly enjoyable books that are basically the same over and over again, right? Uh, he's got a formula. It works. Um, you know, mag- magical kid goes to magic camp, school, whatever, um, fights against the apocalypse, kind of fails and then saves the day at the end anyway is more or less the, the way Rick Riordan books work. Yep. Um, this book is a Rick Riordan book that I feel like was him in a lot of ways responding to what he saw as probably fair criticisms. And instead of doing a trilogy or a series of five books or whatever he's done in the past. Usually it's between three and five books. Um, It's a standalone book. It is a one book in and out um, story. Uh, It is not clear to me if like his other books, it is sort of in the same world as the other books. I didn't catch any specific references to events of the other books, but that doesn't mean that it's not right. It could have just been, you know, there, there are a bunch of, Humans dealing with human stuff, and it they just weren't as noticeable of the, the supernatural stuff. I don't think that it t- will touch, because he does say in his introduction, at least in the physical book, he mentions in, in his introduction that he was sort of asked by Disney of what product would he, he, he enjoy most, and he mentioned 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, his passion and all that, and thus, that's what... No, because it is partly published by license with Disney for that. So I don't think it would be really tie unless for some reason Disney decide to acquire all his other right stuff. Disney does have some rights with his other work because they have a live action Percy Jackson uh, series for Disney Plus in the works um, okay. now. Whether or not that intersects with the publishing wing of anything at all, you know, I have no idea, obviously. Um, exactly. So, yeah. Um, well, and it's entirely possible that he conceived of this happening in the same world and just didn't reference it because, you know, who knows what the legal 
uh, implications of that could be, right? So, and this one is compared to manga. This is much more uh, science fiction, much more based on sciences than Even magic, pseudo science fiction, right? <laughs> so, yes, yeah, and I know we've already kind of talked about it. The twenty thousand leagues under the sea is what it's inspired on, um, and it's like, what if that were real? Much in the same way he did with the you know Norse mythology and stuff. If if it was real today, yeah. um, and I do agree with you though about the like it did not quite have the apocalypse, although there was an apocalyptic event that happened for the kids who are the the, the mm-hmm. main characters of the book. Um, their uh, school is destroyed while they're getting ready to go basically on kind of like a a first year uh i'll call it a final but it's like a trip to to, that they're supposed to help show what they've been learning uh and prepare them for their next stage of life at the academy yeah no uh so so it is, yeah, it breaks that formula in diff- in some ways, although you're right, it still has sort of an apocalyptic event, at least in their world. And and by their world, I mean for them specifically, those characters, not in the world in which they inhabit. In fact, the rest of the world doesn't really even know that anything right. happened. <laughs> like, they know that there was a, a, an event where some of the, the ocean property fell, but they don't mention the school or anything like that. Well... Believe that the the world mentioned about the world, but they mentioned that basically the world, the school got destroyed in a natural yeah, that's true, and all that. So yeah, and then, since we haven't told us, that's the Harding Pencroft. Pencroft. Yes. Um, which, so my um, youngest is reading the physical copy of the book right now, also. And he, when he got to the name of it, because they keep referring to it as, as HP, right? Uh, and his immediate, because Riordan sort of in the past sort of writes in that same tropes, he just assumed, oh, it's a, it's a Harry Potter reference. I'm like, ah, actually it's not. It's, it's an older reference than Harry Potter. Um, but you've got to keep reading to yes. find out about that because it's, it's a reference to characters that Jules Verne created. And it is a sequel to 2011 C, The Mysterious Eye. Which I have yet, to, which it's on my list to read at one point. Like I love Jules Verne, so yeah. So, so anyway, yeah. So the 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 general story is um, the main character is named Anna. Do I remember that right? Okay. So the yes. main character is named Anna. Um, she goes to a a special school, right? As as fits into the the trope that we've been talking about. Uh, but it is a special school for people really gifted in the area of like marine stuff. They're all watery people, right? And they they are heading off on that, you know, field trip final whatever uh, that Tracy mentioned. And while they're on the road heading that way, um, the school is attacked and blown up. Uh, and come to find out it was blown up by their rival school, Land Institute, which is a weird name for a marine-based school, Land Institute, but um, also named after Jules Verne characters, I believe. Um, and yes. so uh, the story is basically the tale of a war between, I guess, the one surviving class of, of HP against the Land Institute, uh, 
by way of they go off to uh, a base that has been established on the mysterious island of the mysterious island and they find um captain nemo's nautilus and and wage war in that way that's more or less the gist of the story yes more or less the gist of it of the story uh but within that you find out stuff like uh anod dakar is actually a great descendant of prince dakar who is captain nemo Mm -hmm. uh so uh she also at the start uh loses her brother right later on finds out later on finds out her, her older brother uh, who she thought was still at school when he got attacked, but found out that no, he actually became traitor and actually joined with the Linus to, to get control of the Nautilus. Because he fears it's their family heirloom. Yeah, and her parents were killed yes. originally. Um, they had been part of uh, HP as well. And. Um, she had been told it was an accident, but it turns and turns out kind of was. But they had found uh, the Nautilus and had tried to go on it, and the Nautilus uh, basically killed the dad. And then the dad tried, uh, the mom tried to help the dad, and she also perished. Yeah. The Nautilus killed them in grief because they the Nautilus is has an AI thinks of themselves and that and had been left for 150 years down in the net had felt abandoned and thus when uh the parents of anna also descendant of of nemo tried to touch using their can only activate stuff using their dna uh so nautilus recognized the family but were angry was angry grief thinking and just lashed out Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I mentioned that um, Riordan sort of blows up the, the previously previous conceptions and in, in, in response to critiques, I think, to um, to his previous work. And, and in, in some cases, like the the here's a magic school where, where special children learn special things. Right. He, he literally blows it up in like chapter three or two or whatever it was really early on in the book. Yeah. Um, but then. He he also continues to challenge that. I think he has been um, pretty fairly critiqued in the past for the the lack of representation in his books, especially with main characters. Um, in this case, instead of a white guy as the main character, you have um, a, a South Asian girl. There is, um, in fact, and then most of the main characters end up being her friends, and so it's which are mostly girls as well. Um, there is representation of neurodiversity uh, with one of the characters who has uh, an emotional support animal as well, which was actually one of the things my uh, my youngest pointed out about it. He he wanted me to talk about uh, his impressions of at least what he's read so far. Um, uh, he hasn't quite finished it yet, but he said one of the things he likes about it is actually that it diverges from from what you expect, right? He he is at, at eleven years old. He is surprised uh, at at every turn, and he is uh, he is not able to predict what's going to happen, which is unusual for a Rick Riordan series because 
Um, he's usually pretty predictable, although enjoyable, like I've said before. Uh, but that he also appreciates the the neurodiverse character as as somebody who is also neurodiverse. He he enjoys seeing um, that representation and seeing somebody who who kind of thinks more like him um, in the world, but also that it's not necessarily called out as like a disability or weakness, but it is just a feature of who this this person is. Yeah. That would be yes. Esther and Top being the dog, the most support dog. That who, yeah, she is a very essential role in the book. You know, she's she while on the Nautilus, she actually acts as the uh, feels the emotional state of mm-hmm. the Nautilus, and just able to translate that to uh, Anna. Uh, which helps out. So, she's also she is also uh, one of the descendants of the one of the founders of the school. So, uh, so which helps out by the end of when they decide yes they're going to rebuild the school. They're going to go their ways and all that and travel through the Nautilus and all that. But yeah, but yes, yeah. so. That's what that's what he particularly liked about the book, and um, he he was he that's was awesome. hoping to share that yeah. with folks. Um, so yeah, and I I I think that's really interesting and that's really insightful. I know I was impressed. Um, you know, again, I think I keep going back to it. Rick Riordan's books, I think it, there is a lot of fair critique of them, and yet, despite being predictable in many ways, um, I still really enjoy them, and I've I've listened to and read almost all of them at this point, right? So that should say something. Um, so I don't want people to, to think I'm, I'm ragging on it or whatever. But I also think there is some fair critique about it being formulaic, about the lack of representation, that the main characters are always um, white guys. Um, you know. And in this case, he, I think he ably responds to those critiques, right? Um, he, the main character, it's not, you know, he's always had some diversity in like the supporting cast. Right. But they, they always sort of felt a little bit tacked on, a little bit tangential um, to the, the main uh, sort of the A plot. Right. That is not the case here. Right. I think the supporting cast is diverse and the main cast is, is diverse as well. And, and the diversity matters, I, I think, to a large degree, too. And it does a good job, I think, of explaining how or showing how for a character might come off one way and then you learn more about their background and what's going on with them. And then it's way more understandable. I, I think Jem's a really good example of that too. I think, I think his name was Jem, the, the guy who had the um, close connection with the professor. Yeah. The prefect from house shark who yeah, gets assigned security uh, to, to Anna. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and also Anna's own background, it's not just that she's, you know, descended from people in, uh, I forget exactly from where, uh, but the language that is part of her, like that her mom and her parents taught her and things like that are, is an essential part of, of solving things, figuring out the algorithm to decrypt the message mm-hmm. that they got and things like that. It's, it's really in there. It's not just, oh yeah, this is uh, an otherwise, <laughs> stereotypically potentially white person in America that just has a different right. sounding name. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I, I think 
it was all integral and it all mattered. And I was, I was impressed with his response to, um, to, to those critiques of his previous work. Uh, and I think, I think it's, it's also interesting because I think he's, I don't know, this is me. I don't know. This may be me projecting. Right. Um, but I think he has been careful because he doesn't want to, um, he doesn't want to appropriate. Right. He's like, well, I'm a white guy um, from, you know, Western civilization. And so he he typically writes from that perspective. But he's also done a whole series of Rick Riordan presents books where he is uplifting other authors who have different back. I think each one of them is from a different background. And there's South Asian and there's African and there's African-American and African. And there's um, um Native American, I think. And so he's, he's doing some of those things. And that's what makes me think, oh, well, he's being very careful not to be, not to appropriate. Right. Uh, and, and in this case, I think he walks the line in a way that, that to me anyway, um, was pretty successful. Right. Cause, cause there, he's not trying to represent South Asian culture, but he's trying, he, but he's making their culture as, immigrants in America from South Asia important to the story, but he's still sort of telling it from the American perspective because they're still Americans, right? And but and yet it's also still important that they're not they're not from, you know, descended from Western civilization. So Yeah. And and I and it's been a little so I started it early on after we picked it and then I just ran into a, a spot where I couldn't listen to it for a while, and then I got back to it. Wasn't there a whole story though about Nemo and like who he was and why he was that was tied into mm-hmm. history too, of yeah. of uh, colonization and and stuff like that that I yeah. thought was re- mm-hmm. well done too. Well, as he as, as he say in the book, and also it's part of the twenty thousand Lincoln and about Josephine. He is at, during that story, which is where Lan and Aeronomax, which are two characters that are that are, are using the other deep. Well, Aeronomax is the they use that as a name for himself, but that was a character in films. But they meet up where uh, Nemo is angry at the British and the imperial powers, and he's being basically attacking places because his wife and kid got killed off by that by attacks. So he's very, very angry. So they say in the book that basically, uh, basically, uh, Lan and Aronax met up with uh, Josephine, and that's how Twenty Thousand Leagues on Films. Later on, Harding and Pencroft having films, they had met him later on on the mysterious island, and they approached Josephine according to the book to tell, hold on. That's just part of the story. He's he's different. This is how he wants. And basically, from there, it's more of the the scientist part, the the one who does more research, wants to help and improve the world and all that. Well, and that that's interesting too, though, because you talk about how um, you know, because it's the HP is is more influenced by by later him, right? The scientist and what have you, whereas the yeah. Land Institute is more the more aggressive. Um, but it's also not necessarily fair to say that Land Institute isn't also interested in the progress of the world. 
Um, if anything, one could argue that they just are want to help the world more aggressively. They're saying, hey, we have access to all of this uh, Captain Nemo fantastic science fiction technology, right? And we want to give it to the world. Not, but, but HP yeah. is like, yeah, but we actually have control of it all. And we want to slowly leak it out into the world because you never know what the unintended consequences might be, um, which which is an interesting dynamic, right? Uh, it, it's a it's a little bit of the stereotype um, metaphor for like a, a Malcolm X and an MLK Jr. comparison, but but I also say stereotype because um, MLK Jr. was in fact much more radical than he is given credit for, uh, and uh, or remembered for um, in, in the stereotype portrayals of him and and malcolm x also um became a lot less aggressive later in life uh, as well and so it does a lot of nuance that is missed in the metaphor I'm, I'm not gonna say it's entirely like this but it's kind of like and it doesn't matter who's up or who's above but they kind of start going like this at some point and they're they're two lives they kind of start meeting in that middle uh particularly and i know it's not important necessarily important to this but when when malcolm x goes and sees um, Mecca and sees all the different people actually of different skin tones being able to worship and live next to each other and, and instead of the violence he had, had seen his entire life growing up in yeah. the US. One thing from, from a gaming perspective, the Hardin Pencroft school re- remind me one of, one of my favorite uh, RPGs called Terra Canita, which is the adventures of the National Geographic National Archaeological, Geographical, and Submarine Society. And basically, I've always described it as take the National Geographic Society, make it a secret agency, give them submarines, and that's that's what it is. And and you sort of see that for Hurt and Pencroft, where basically they are there for research and they're there for looking up stuff and all that, and they are kept secret. So it's interesting, uh, and 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 the metaphor. Like I said, it, it's it's sort of the unnuanced metaphor for the civil rights movement uh, leaders, but it's also interesting that Anna, who basically ends up, you know, she wins the day, and they're going to rebuild the school, and she's the heir of Captain Nemo, uh, and and has the trust of the AI of the Nautilus, uh, and so access to to more stuff, more science, more whatever. But there are definitely moments where she's not necessarily sold on the HP way of things, right? There are moments where she's like, you know, Land Institute is in some ways kind of right. Like if people are dying of these diseases and we have ways of helping, shouldn't we find ways to help, right? Uh, in the way Land Institute wants to. But at the same time, they're, they they are an ends justifying the means sort of organization and she's not on board with that, right? They're They're slaughtering people to try to to do this thing and, and she's not on board with that. So it, if there was a yeah. sequel uh, and I, and this is supposed to be a standalone book, so I don't have any um, conception that it will be, that there will be a sequel, but if there were, if there were a sequel, I could totally see her sort of forging a new path um, between the two of them. There was also an interesting um, thing that, that kind of developed a little in the book about the fact that she was not at all being taught how to eventually take that place. And in fact, until uh, they thought 
until the um they thought her her brother had perished in the thing the expectation had always been eventually her brother would would take things on uh and and to a point that he even he felt very entitled and you know dismissive of his sister and i thought that was kind of an interesting thing they developed there too yeah yeah oh yeah Dev, her older brother, was the one being trained by him. We never got, they, they never, both of them never got to, you know, until they found the novelist later on in, in the story, because the story pushed them down. But yes, Dev was the one that was supposed to to get, and he kept feeling that, that uh, HP kept pushing him away, and which is why he got them the end to get, gave the Land Institute an end for them to go. Hey, if you join us, we'll get you quicker to get to your inheritance. Yeah, I think, I think the theme of um, expectations and living up to expectations, I think, is pretty prevalent through the story. I think the other themes are things like um, being aware of the possibility of unintended consequences, um, I think, is pretty strong in, in the story as well. I don't know. I thought I had another theme, too, but now I... I forgot. <laughs> uh, a team of communication. Communication. communication goes through, is pretty much rampant throughout the whole thing because she that knows her, the house that she's part of in the schools is good for communication. And, yeah. and she applies it, but she also applies it into the end of communicating with the ship, communicating at the end with her, right. her brother. She doesn't he, she takes him down and she even shows him she brings him on an list and the novelist refuses him <laughs> at that point in time but and he, that's one thing I also like the fact that uh, even though she has a little bit sort of rapport she has not quite forgiven the novelist for having killed her parents st- she's still struggling through that she's still struggling with that and you see it throughout the whole story so. so two things we should probably talk about and i'll start with the first one being the british baking show yes. and oh, very, very. Yes, Jupiter. <laughs> and a certain orangutan uh, Jupiter. Jupiter, yeah and, and was it mary berry uh, yes the big fan of mary berry from the british the great yep. british the, bake-off the, uh the primary chef on the mysterious island is an orangutan named Jupiter, who um, refuses to let anybody change the channel from DVD uh, the DVD set he has of the Great British Bake Off. <clears throat> so. They do eventually convince him to let him play the. I don't know if it was the SNES or something right. like that the, for a little while. Well, yeah, video con- old yeah. video consoles. Yeah. Yep. So. <laughs> and then, what was the other thing you thought we should talk about, Tracy? Okay, this is a hard one. So there's an extended description of her having Uh a menstrual cycle. And that was, it was interesting in some ways because, like, I don't think it's a universal experience what she had in terms of how bad the cramps were and things like that. So it kind of felt definitely maybe translated through somebody else. Uh, right. The description being, of it and being stuff. Described but by I a thought man it was who's never had a menstrual cycle. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I mean, but 
the other possibility is that there could be someone who helped him with that section and that is what yeah. uh, they experienced. So I don't want to, yeah. uh, you know, there are lots of experiences, but I thought I found it interesting that they, they did go that mm-hmm. far into the, the, the conversation and, about it. Right. Because that went on for well, right. a day. Or went, two that was several chapters of the book that, that it comes up every now and then that she's dealing with that. Yeah. yeah. It, it was not a minor, like, we mentioned a thing t- check off that box for representation move on um you know uh, now certainly i am not one to to either critique or defend his his depiction of menstrual cycles because i have also never had one um right <laughs> so um but yeah no I, it'll be interesting i i don't know that my 11 year old has gotten to that part yet um, and I don't, I don't know what oh, okay. conversation that's going to bring up. Um, we'll, we'll see where that goes. So yeah. he, he's, he, he is an interesting one, right? He, uh, he came home from school, um, a few months back saying that, uh, some of the kids are talking about the talk, having the talk, what's the talk about? And I'm like, well, I can't really tell you what the talk is about without giving you the talk, but would you like to do that no i don't think i did okay well (laughs) you know that's (laughs) so so the talk has not happened yet but maybe this will be the impetus so maybe maybe Maybe, yeah uh uh, but yeah for the for purposes of oh the animals yes there's lots of different animal companions that show up of it i mean there's top yeah, those those Jupiter the orangutan, Romeo the giant squid, uh, uh-huh. the giant squid that falls. Uh, in a way, the Nautilus itself, you could say it's an animal companion because oh, the, also, uh, the dolphin, which is well, yes, dolphin Socrates, yes. So, uh, but yeah, so which in D and D. It's good to have yeah, animal companions. No, th- and I think in terms of connecting it to D&D, I think it, what's interesting to me is that um, the, the book is obviously leaning more in the sci-fi direction, right? But at the same time, like, it's not super sci-fi. Like, the, the technology is not such that it would be game-breaking to bring it into your world, right? Um, you know, they have a sort of ray gun technology, but it it's like incapacitating. It's like stunning uh, sort of technology. Yeah. Um, and Dean has had adventures that uses a, oh, look, a UFO has landed in the mouth of Greyhawk. So, so. That mix has happened in the history of D and No, absolutely, and, but 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 even like D and D is largely a game focused on the rules are focused on combat, right? And so if you wanted to bring in a form of technology, a for a, a, a smidgen of sci-fi, um, I think this kind of sci-fi would work really well because it's not game breaking. It doesn't mess up the mechanics. You can have the exact same effect that is portrayed in the story and not have to fudge the rules to make it fit into the game balance at all. I, I, I really, so I don't know if either of you have ever watched um, or listened to Dimension 20. So Brennan Lee Mulligan on um, uh, College Humor and Dropout is their streaming service, um, has a, a live stream show. 
Um, and one of the things I really appreciate about what, he, what that team does, I know it's not just him, it's a whole team of people that work on these things, um, is the way they take D&D and make the mechanics of D&D absolutely 100% work and fit in settings that are very much not classic D&D, right? They did one of like um, little miniature like toys and fairies in the backyard and that was the whole setting, right? But it was still... 100, like you could also see, yeah, but this character is clearly a ranger and that this is them using this power. Like it's all still D&D &D 100%. And yet in these incredibly creative, not standard D&D &D sort of settings. And I could absolutely see somebody taking that kind of an approach and just playing D&D &D in this world. Yeah. Right. Uh, Jim would be our, our, our dual wielding ranger, right. With the dual wielded pistols and, um, you know, you could absolutely do a D&D &D game that is 100% in this world and just sort of file off a few of the serial numbers and, and not worry about the rest yeah. of it, right? Well, yeah, and one thing I thought, because even though I'm not familiar with both D&D &D products, uh, but I, I know uh, you could do a transition from a strict haven where you are students going to school, you destroy Strixhaven, and you're heading out, and you get a spelljammer ship. Sure. And thus, you can have a similar storyline as what you have in Daughter of the Deep, but just replace the just replace the Nautilus with a old uh, spelljammer ship. That's yeah, some sort of some. It could it could be the original sort of legendary spelljammer, right? Ah, <laughs> exactly. So you could have so. So if people are playing and they oh they finish off doing Strixhaven and they want to get into that, well you guys are familiar with Strixhaven. You make new characters with a bit some ideas from Spelljammer, and then you just mm -hmm. yeah you destroy Strixhaven as you're heading off to get the being chased and find a Spelljammer ship, and voila you have a yeah. entry play into the the one world. I think that could absolutely work. I think you you don't even have to necessarily make it that. D and D steeped, right? I think you could just run Daughter of the Deep in in the setting yeah. with HP and land yeah. incident oh, yeah. and just and and still just make D and D characters and, and play it. I yes, think it there's work. that too. So, um, so I think there's a few different approaches of, oh, of yeah. adapting this and and making it work for D and D. So, yeah. awesome. One of the things I thought about too with that is going back to your, um, you know, Land Institute has points too. So a lot of people, some, not everyone, but some folks do like more of a gray D&D type game. And the fact that there are multiple, like, yeah. both sides have points, which means more than one thing could potentially be true. It's just a matter of how you decide to value it, right? Yeah. Where, where, what's more important? Because, well, um, yeah, the professor was a teacher at the Land Institute. He's the one who even designed the Aramax not submarine right but the rnx is is sort of the um the anti-nautilus land institute sort of giant warship submarine yeah. uh, uh approach whereas the the nautilus is not a war machine right i believe they had like what two still functioning torpedoes oh. um uh it is not a a ship intended for war whereas the rnx was yeah. um and it's a bit large and imposing. It's sort of the star destroyer of the ocean, right? Yeah, it was this black and described like a um, stealth fighter, right? 
and it and it launches a barrage of torpedoes and missiles and stuff that wipes out an entire part of the coastline and sinks the HP campus into the ocean and um, so it, it it it's I guess it's one part star destroyer one part Death Star in that way right <laughs> so but yes but yes there there are points in Land Institute yeah that that makes them a bit gray right. I don't, yeah, I don't know that they're entirely wrong. I'm also not a big fan of their approach, but I don't know that they're entirely wrong, yeah. right? Um, their, their approach can be known as maybe reckless. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and part of the issue, like, I don't know that I'm opposed to a more aggressive approach either. Um, there are times when, when that is necessary and has been necessary throughout history, I think. Um, but... It is their particular recklessness and aggressiveness is not steeped in wanting to to overthrow an oppressive order world order right it, it is steeped in uh, at least from what we get from her brother uh, it's a largely steeped in a position of, of privilege and entitlement and that's that's a problem right so um, yeah so yeah although, although we don't get we don't actually get much like I think land Institute is is portrayed as this this large sort of juggernaut thing, but we only ever really meet what two, three named characters from land Institute. Well, it was land Institute's class project, but not with the first years to right. <laughs> they sent the seniors after the first years, which is interesting as well. Like they decided to wage war on their, their rival uh, do this thing that is like, the biggest thing that that they want to do, right? right. They're they're, just, they're slaughtering people. They're they're risking sort of exposure to the world. Um, like this is a really big deal. Yeah. But most of Land Institute is just going to stay out of it because it's the senior class project. We need to like, <laughs> yeah let the, let let the kids handle it. It's like oh, <laughs> well, I can't think of it one, one right now. But in the land for the for the Land Institute camp. Is it was it all boys? Did we did we? I, I don't recall. I don't was. I don't feel like it was. But all of the named characters that have ever been associated with it, I think, um, are are boys that we know. Like the, the professor, like you mentioned, there's the there's the one student that they like capture. Yeah. And then there's her brother. Okay. So I think we only have male named characters from land institute yeah. and and almost not quite but almost the opposite for um hp at least our named yeah main characters because the professor and jam and luca is that the the husband of the couple on the island yes luca and uh, ophelia correctly. And, and and i suppose um also all of the animal companions. Yeah. <laughs> I believe we're also males. <laughs> yes. And then I guess... Uh, and it, so, it, yeah, what did you say, Trace? I was going to say, I think the last thing to also is I wonder what other s stories, particularly that are out of copyright, could be kind of called, like, used in this oh. way to recreate um, newer, new things from a different perspective. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. There's lots and lots of books in the public domain. <laughs> uh, so. 
Yeah, there, and I'm trying to think. There's Frankenstein. Can a, a lot of them have been there have been D and D versions, right? Uh, you know, Frankenstein arguably has a whole section in the the domains of dread that are uh, detailed in Van Richten's guide. Yeah, um, the flesh golem. The flesh golem is right. basically Frankenstein. Uh, right, and like obviously, like Lovecraft has been done. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but I kind of want to like dig through particularly books that, um, you know, maybe, and I know the English translation might not be in public domain, but, you know, just slightly different points of view or like these things that we can pull out and make alive that we haven't just haven't done yet for various reasons. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and, you know, it's a lot easier than trying to get some of the current um, IP <laughs> uh, licensing. Right. right? So uh, I know yeah. I, I was doing it for a while more with images rather than actual text because uh, the British library put a bunch of things out into the um, public domain from books from their collection. They, they, they scan the images and put them on Flickr. Um, mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of cool stuff there that you can use. I mean, Trois Mousquetaires, Three Mousquetaires is one well, old classic. So Right. And I think, and I think there's a lot of potential for that. I think there's, a, and I think there's a lot of like, that is a common source of inspiration, right? I have not done a lot of like, you know, like when Kobold Press has put out like three or four giant books of monsters, right? And and I've backed all of those on Kickstarter and there's always the option of, hey, do you want to the contribute? You know, if you've backed it, you can contribute. You can you can send in some monsters and they'll consider them to put in the book, right? Right. Uh, and every now and then I, I'm inspired by things like that. And it's like, oh, maybe I'll maybe I'll make a thing. And I never do because I have a lot of stuff going on. Right? <laughs> right. Uh, but I always think about it. And usually when I'm thinking about it and I come up with an idea, it's almost always, well, what's a piece of literature or that that hasn't been thoroughly explored in D&D? You know, what is a what where is there some mythology that has largely been neglected? Uh, that I could dig into and find some ideas for creatures or monsters or stories or whatever, right? And I th- so I think that is a a um, a treasure trove of potential ideas. Um, now there is some, especially when you're talking about um, old classic literature. There's a little bit of uh, having to to hold your nose and and recognize that um, that not everything that is told in those stories is palatable, right? Um, well, and that's one of the. But there's but there's no, go ahead. I was going to say that's one of the, the interesting things about here is because there, I mean, even in, I think, 20,000 Leagues, and it's been a while since I've read it, uh, but similar, there, there isn't always stuff that we want, like, is palatable, yeah. but you can pull out something like the Nautilus and then really make it a character for these mm-hmm. folks and, and pull out a lot more of it, talk about all the gunk that's in the... Um, uh oh the <laughs> the ventilation ducks. Shafts yeah the ventilation that. ducks and stuff yeah and and things like that that i i think make for a really good story yeah. um and again bring in a little bit more perspective to mm-hmm. the historical events that were part of it and there's another series that's currently doing that um a tv series with or at least has had one episode that i think that talks about the partition uh the I believe it was the Pakistan India partition, oh. and then we've had the Tulsa bombings that came up in a, a different series. I just don't want to give spoilers to the series, so that's why I'm not saying which series oh, it I is. Okay. 
but I say, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, um, I, I think I know which one you're talking about for Tulsa. I don't know about the partition one, so you have to tell me afterwards. But yeah, and so the, and the, and so it's bringing these things to light that that are a key part of the history and understanding the context of the time mm-hmm. that aren't necessarily in most of the history books people read at school. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, um, we haven't gone our full hour, but we're getting close and I am exhausted. We had a, we had a hard time getting started tonight. Uh, so it took us a good half hour to get started. Um, cause I was having both technical and family things to deal with. So, um, I think uh, unless anybody has any, any other thoughts they want to share that we've more or less discussed what we want to discuss here. Yep. Yep. All right, then let's go ahead and call that the end of this episode. Uh, so it is time to say goodbye. I want to say thank you to our patrons uh, who joined us at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. A special thank you goes out to new patron Jonathan Vedamuthu, uh, as well as continuing patrons like Doug Palmer, Hyperlexic, James D'Alessio, uh, Jill Sanders, Leonard Pelche, Michael Harrison, and Scipio202. And if you'd like to contact us, you can email us thetomeshow at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at Sarah Dark Magic, that's Sarah with an H, and SarahDarkMagic.com. You can find Jeff on Twitter at Squatch, that's S-Q-U-A-C-H, and Eric is at Eric with a C, M-Pack, P-A-Q. The show is at The Tome Show, and you can find us on Facebook, Patreon, and Discord. You can watch us live as we record an episode on twitch.tv slash Show, or watch the video after the fact on The Tome Show's YouTube channel. Show notes and other great shows are at thetomeshow.com. And that's our thoughts on Daughter of the Deep. Next up in, what did I say, August, we will be reading Beating the Story by Robin D. Laws. Until then, keep turning the page, Tomites. I'm also lost.